0: This morning our gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 25 through 33. Hear now the word of God. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned to them and said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple." Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus here gives us more hard words than he has in the gospel readings these last few weeks. He's using extreme examples. Just so you know, I don't think Jesus here literally means that we should hate the people who love us and impoverish ourselves without purpose. I think he is saying, though, that we need to be willing to be open to new ideas and new leadings from him about what our priorities are. I named this sermon Priorities and Workflow because I wanted to get around the idea of of what in our lives do we make a priority, and how do we structure the things that we do to make those priorities be real in how we live and what we do. And as I was thinking about this, I started with the idea of what do you schedule around? What do you schedule around? When you put things on your calendar, whether it's a calendar on your phone or a calendar on a piece of paper, when you put things on your calendar, what is it that you hold sacred? That you won't double book, that you won't say, well, I'll just do that next week. What is the thing that when you look at your calendar and somebody says, can uh, this day at this time, can you, what are the things that you would say no There's no way I can remove this or change it or reschedule it. And what are the things that you would look at and say, well, I'd a whole lot rather do that than this. So we'll do you next week or we'll just scratch you. What are the things you schedule around? What are the things in your life that you prioritize over other things in your life? And you maybe are making a list in your head, uh, maybe just a little list in your head of some of those things. Things we schedule around. We schedule around things related to our children or school or work. What are the things that we don't alter, that we make the absolute priority? And sometimes that can be skewed. Some years ago, um, we were in my last appointment, and it was a Thursday afternoon. I have a clear memory. It was a Thursday afternoon. I'm sitting at my uh, desk in my office. And the phone rings, and it is a church member, almost a few minutes before 5 on Thursday afternoon. And she says to me, my husband, through his job, has four tickets to the ACC championship game this weekend. Do you want them? And I didn't think about it. I didn't look at my calendar to see what else was there. I just said, yes. Yes. And next thing I know, it's Thursday afternoon right at quitting time, and I've got four tickets for four Smiths to go to the ACC championship game that and and two nights in in the future in Charlotte. Now, I had not thought through the idea that, I don't know if you own a map, but Charlotte and Charleston are kind of close, but not really. And the game was at 8 o'clock, and I had worship on Sunday morning. And it was too late in the game for me to start working the phones to try and find somebody to preach for me that Sunday morning. So I, I talked to Ellen when I said, hey, I've got these tickets. Is that all right? Yes, is her answer as well, by the way. But, but so I said, well, we'll just make it work. You know, we got up Sunday morning and, and it I mean, rather Saturday in Charleston. We drove to Charlotte. We watched a game that kicked off at eight. That the TV, you know, if a game's like game like that on TV, the TV people manage to figure out how to make it last at least four hours. And so at one o'clock, after it's all said and done, with the adrenaline crash, the excitement over, I face the prospect of having to get back in a car and drive from Charlotte back to Charleston. Knowing that when I get back later the same morning, normally, by the way, on a Saturday night, if I'm in the same zip code where I'm going to preach, I've been asleep for a long time by the time we get to 1 p.m., much less be in another state knowing that's coming. So I said, well, there's nothing. We just got in the car. We drove back home, and I knew me, and I knew if I lay down in the bed, even if I said I was going to be there for two hours, I'd be there for eight hours unintentionally. So I didn't even look at the bed. I got ready for church. I went to the church. My office had this little bitty love seat kind of sofa in it, and I figured if I lie down on that, I won't get comfortable enough to get into a deep sleep. So uh, with my suit on, I had a tie on everything. I lay down on that sofa. I did take my jacket off, but I lay down on that sofa, set my alarm for two hours, and left a note on our children's director's door that said, when you get in, please make sure I'm awake. And when she met me with the note, she goes, what just happened in your life, you know? um. But I preached that morning, two services, three services, with two hours sleep. They're kind of hazy. I think I did okay. But I use that trivial example as a way to question, even in that moment, were my priorities out of whack? What did I decide was most important? I scheduled around Sunday morning worship. I didn't just shirk that responsibility, but at the same time, I was willing to be less than 100% when I did it. Priorities. What do we schedule around? How do we organize our workflow? You've probably learned, like I have in life, that it's easier to do nothing than it is to do anything. I've learned that to be true. It's a whole lot easier to wake up, not set an alarm, and just get up when you get up. It's a whole lot easier to not go to school or work than it is to go to school or work. It's a whole lot easier to leave dirty dishes stacked in the sink or the grass uncut. It's easier to do what's easy than it is to do what's difficult. It's easier not to exercise or eat right. It's easier to spend money than it is to save it. It's easier when your car starts making a noise that you think a mechanic ought to know about. It's easier just to to turn the radio up and pretend it's not there. And it's easier to do what's wrong than it is to do what's right. One of the things I learned growing up, or at least I thought I learned and learned it was not true, but at the time it seemed true as a child, it seemed that the kids who got in trouble all the time had a whole lot more fun than I did. Maybe we've had those thoughts, we've had those experiences. What's easy is easy for a reason. But I think that's why at some level we all admire stories of people who work hard to overcome extreme odds and emerge successful from whatever it is they had to overcome. We love stories of people who pull themselves up by their bootstraps and then live happily ever after. Think about some of the movies we love. I'm a sucker for sports movies. How many of you have seen the movie Rudy, based on the real life uh, story of Rudy Rudiger, a Notre Dame player in the 70s who was uh, basically a practice player. He never saw a single play in a game until the last game of his senior year, where he he was able to sack the quarterback, Georgia Tech's quarterback, that they were playing in that game. The only play recorded in the Notre Dame records, the sack he gained in that game. And if you watch the movie real closely, you'll see that he was offsides. <laughs> but we love movies like that, don't we? And it's not just sports movies. We love stories of business people who create something out of nothing, who through work and, and stick to itiveness can create empires, can create something great that lasts. We love stories of people who overcome obstacles, even, even things like addiction. We love stories of people who've, who've, who've seen a problem in their lives and, and overcome it and gotten themselves on the right road. We love stories of people who've worked hard, who've done what's right, and experienced success. We think of those as big stories, as big examples, but they're more mundane stories. There are things like that I think we can look to in everyday life. It can be a truism in all our lives. Some of you know that through my path in ministry, I've had the opportunity to work with um, drug addicts and alcoholics. I had one experience with a man who shared his testimony, and he gives permission for others to share because he wants it to be a light to others. But he was in Oklahoma, very much lost in addiction, drugs and alcohol. And he and another man had a plan. They knew where they could steal an 18-wheeler. They were going to drive that 18-wheeler to Chicago and sell it. That was the extent of their plan. They didn't have somebody to sell it to. They didn't really have a path or how to get to Chicago or what to do when they got there. They just knew they could drive this this 18-wheeler to Chicago and sell it. Neither of them had a commercial driver's license or had ever driven an 18-wheeler before, but they figured they'd get the handle of it as they went. And they did, fact for a while, until somewhere between Oklahoma and Chicago, they came to a toll booth, and they had managed to spend all the money on things they shouldn't have and didn't save any money for a toll. And if you come to a toll booth in some states, if you don't have the The money for the toll booth, they'll just write you a ticket, which means you'll pay the toll plus whatever the fine is. Now, like a lot of things, when they went to write the ticket, they ran the tag number from the 18-wheeler. It came back stolen, and those two men find themselves in jail. This man tells the story, though, as the best day of his life because it started him down the road to sobriety. It was his rock bottom. It was his wake-up call. And then he would go on to talk about the hard work that happened in the intervening years. He was doing what was easy. Stealing instead of working. Relying on illegal substances instead of things that mattered. He was doing what was easy. And it was when he began doing what was hard in the work of recovery. In working towards sobriety, it was when he was doing that hard work he says, when he found meaning in life, when he found purpose, and he would tell that story to anybody who would listen. Jesus, here in these verses, brings up the cross. He says, We must be willing to take up the cross. Now, remember, when Jesus is speaking these words, it's before his crucifixion. So, his disciples who were hearing this for the first time were maybe a little confused. Why is Jesus talking about a cross which for them would not be a symbol of redemption or salvation but merely an instrument of torture and execution? Jesus is saying to take up the cross. But we, when we encounter these words, are able to, to read it knowing what Jesus would ultimately do. Knowing that Jesus went to the cross for our sins. Give us victory over death. But that path to resurrection that Jesus experienced did lie through the cross, which was, as you might, difficult to say the least. Jesus says here, reminding us, that walking as his disciple can, by its very nature, be difficult. In fact, if we're doing it right, it probably will be difficult. And he is saying, can you truly accept a life that might be like that? He's calling to mind the cross an extreme example. He's using extreme examples of shutting off relationship with loved ones, which, by the way, I don't think he calls us to do. But he's using these extreme examples, saying our priority is, Regardless of anything else, should be being his disciple. No matter what. If your Bible is one of those that has little subject headings for portions of Scripture, you may notice mine, uh, as yours might, have over these verses the cost of discipleship. Which, to me, jumps to mind the English translation of a, of a, a work of. Theology by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian and one of my heroes in the faith, a name you might know, who his best known and I think most meaningful work is The Cost of Discipleship. That's its title. He was one who at the, in Germany, at the rise of Hitler in the 30s, became part of an organized group of Christians who opposed Hitler actively, Publicly. And if you read The Cost of Discipleship, the first part of the book is all about obedience. Obedience, about just doing what's right without really thinking about it. And, and for a Methodist, and somebody who prides himself on being a, a theologian in the spirit of John Wesley, it just struck me wrong the first time I read it. I'm like, well, no, you don't just, it's not blind obedience. It's not, you know, and then I'm like, well, you know, he's German. And there's that stereotype of Germans always following rules. Or, you know, maybe it's because he's Lutheran and has a slightly different way he's starting from. But, but if you, if when I stuck with him and I got to the end of his talking over and over about obedience, his, what he's talking about is the kind of prioritization that I think Jesus is talking about. Willing to be a follower of Jesus no matter what, even when it's difficult. What is the thing in your life that you will not adjust or change? Bonhoeffer was not asked to take up his cross in a literal way, but he did face a hangman's noose days before the camp in which he was imprisoned was liberated. It's an extreme example. It's an example for those of us here and now probably will never, by the grace of God, have to face. But it, to me, serves as a reminder and a lesson that I need, I'm called to be a radical follower of Jesus no matter what. What am I willing to stand on and not budge from? What, and what priorities will I arrange everything else in my life around? That's a heavy example, so I need to give you a lighter one. A college friend of mine posted this on Facebook just this past week. By the way, if you've ever researched how to cite a Facebook quote, please let me know how to do it, because I couldn't figure it out. But he said these words, and you know it's easy on social media to take strong political stances. He said, I have a lot of friends who gravitate to the right. I have just as many friends who gravitate to the left. Personally, James Bond, as portrayed by Daniel Craig, could kick the living tar out of Indiana Jones. Boom, that's my mountain to die on. course, he's being tongue-in-cheek, saying the most important thing to him would be which action hero in movies would be best. But it's reminding us, I think, that there needs to be things that we don't budge on. And for us as Christians, that's being a disciple of Jesus. And we might have different understandings of how that plays itself out in real life. But if we are willing to be followers of Jesus no matter what, that's what God is calling us to through Jesus when He talks about taking up our cross. And it can be hard, even here and now. He offers these very difficult words. Should we really hate our family members? No, we shouldn't. But Jesus uses these extreme illustrations to remind us that our greatest priority in life should be willing to be His disciple. should be someone who follows Him, who learns from Him. And that kind of discipleship requires hard work. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, You pour out blessings upon us and You lead us on the path of true life. Help us to choose Your way Again and again that we might revel in your love and reflect it to all we meet. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.